The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in January 2007. Welcome to Downstage Center, presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theater Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theater Wing. Today we welcome Rebecca Luker. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, how are you? Good. Let me just take a few seconds to run through your, your credits. Currently appearing on Broadway in Mary Poppins, playing Winifred Banks, Mrs. Banks, the mother. That's correct. Previously Tony-nominated for The Music Man, where you played Mary in Peru, and The Revival of the show, of Showboat, where you played Magnolia. Again, a Tony nomination for that. Made your Broadway debut in The Phantom of the Opera, understudying uh, Sarah Brightman as Christine. Also appearing in The Sound of Music as Maria, and a couple other shows along the way, plus off-Broadway, most recently A.R. Gurney's Indian Blood. Recently, Eve Ensler's Vagina Monologues and an off-Broadway show called Can't Let Go. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Winifred Banks, Mrs. Banks. <laughs> now, the show is a big, big Disney production, but it is not exactly the same as the motion picture. It's a little bit different. Yes. You certainly saw the movie. I did. It's been, it's been years, but yes, loved yeah, the movie. Yeah. So how do you envision the role of Mrs. Banks now in the show? There's more of an emphasis on, on her and, and the husband's relationship, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the P.L. Travers novel is is what inspired, uh, you know, Tom Schumacher and Cameron McIntosh, and who are, of course, the big producers of the show. Uh, but, uh, Cameron is, of course, everyone knows who Cameron McIntosh is. I hope Tom Schumacher is is the uh, head of Disney theatricals. He's a great guy, and they years ago, uh, you know, found P.L. Travers, who wrote the Mary Poppins novel, and. Uh, Got her blessing to and uh, to uh, write this new Broadway show, which would also have the original songs that the Sherman Brothers wrote for the movie that we all are familiar with, and um, they set about this 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 huge project. Julian Fellows uh, signed on to be the book writer. Um, he, they came up with this wonderful sort of uh, marriage of the two of the two, but the story is very very different from the Hollywood movie. And Winifred Banks, in particular, my character, is not a suffragette. Uh, she's an ex actress. I'm not quite sure why they decided to make her an ex actress, and there's not really uh, anything in the script that would lead you to believe that I was. But she does talk about being an ex actress, and. Uh, uh, it gives me permission to be a little bit may, maybe more free-spirited than my husband, George, and uh, a little bit more progressive and forward-thinking and that sort of thing. Well, George, of course, is kind of a stiff banker and type. George Banks is a very stiff uh, banker fellow who has sort of gotten uh, lost in trying to make it big at the bank that he works in, trying to get ahead in society, caring about the wrong things, not spending enough time with his children, not spending enough time with his wife, you know, and and Mary Poppins comes along to teach him a big lesson about, you know, what's important in life, and which is loving your family and that sort of thing. I'm getting away from Winifred. Uh, she's just a wonderful character. She She has a wonderful arc in the show, and I think of her as sort of the heart and soul of the piece. She, she in the end, is the one that brings the family together and and uh, finds her strength, finds finds a way to be the, the kind of mother she wants to be and the kind of wife she wants to be. Now, you saw the movie. Did you read the book? I have not read the book yet. Isn't that terrible? To get a little bit, I of, wanted to. A little bit of the character? You know, the book actually does not expound on Winifred either. Oh, really? This, this is, Julian Fellows did a lot of this character work, uh -huh. actually, to be to be perfectly, you know, precise about it. Uh, apparently, P.L. Travers wasn't close with her parents, and uh, the, the parents were modeled after her parents, so she didn't go, you know, heavily into their characters, which is interesting. So we, they sort of made us up, this George <laughs> and Winifred. 
But this is a show with antecedents, as you say. You, you had the book. You had the very famous and popular Disney movie. The show itself was first staged in London a couple of years ago with great success. In the Broadway production, how much new material, how much was being changed, how much uh, involvement did you get to have in the creation of the character, or were you stepping into something that had already been honed? Mm. We had a lot of uh, room to to develop our own characters in, in the way that we, we wanted to. In fact, uh, they all of the creative team, Matthew Bourne, the choreographer, and uh, uh, Richard Ayer, the director, uh, told us from the from the beginning to to not uh, worry about the, what the London production looked like. Some of us had seen it, some of us haven't. I haven't seen it, uh, which is which I'm glad about for now. Uh, but he said, uh, "You you are in no way stepping into the shoes of the actors in London." So they changed a great deal of the staging, I believe, in our production. And uh, because the actors are so very different, and the singer we sing so very differently, and we act so very differently, and look differently from the cast in London, that they gave us uh, pretty much free reign to uh, explore. And what about the songs? As we're mentioning the creatives, we should mention for people who aren't, haven't seen the show yet that, of course, there are the iconic Disney songs, but there are even slightly yes. more songs by the songwriting team of George Stiles and exactly. Anthony Drew. Yes. Was Were any of those songs modeled then here in New York for your voice, or was there a new material that hadn't been in London? There this, my song, my new song that that uh, uh, Styles and Drew wrote called "Being Mrs. Banks." Uh, we did play around with the key a little bit, so I raised we raised the key a little bit for me. I think only about a half step because they wanted they wanted me to stay in that mezzo soprano uh, area, so uh, which is different for me. It's a, a little low for me, and I'm still learning to to get it into my voice. But we did we did play around with it and, and played around with the orchestrations. They, they they expanded the orchestration a little bit, made it a little more exciting. And I I hope they've done it over in London because they I think they improved it greatly. And they they uh, after staging our production, I think went back over to London to to redo a few things. So it's been interesting. The 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 set among other uh, elements includes the house, which is at various levels, and then they move up and down. Different levels come down to the stage or move up and down. Mm-hmm. You go up an awful lot of staircases. How I many, do. How many flights of stairs do you think you climb each performance? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, more in Act Two, I go up and down uh-huh. the the Banks House stairs. Uh, I, f- I haven't counted three or four times up and down and really quickly. Sometimes I'm holding heavy objects and mm-hmm. I'm always having to deal with a big skirt and a corset and high heels and things like that. It's tough. And then, of course, going getting up to our dressing room is also a lot of stairs. But the dressing room backstage is upstairs <laughs> also. Yes, exactly. Four flights up. That's I how try you stay not in take, shape. I tr- yes, I try to take the stairs as much as possible. What was, what, yeah. was the, what was the biggest challenge in becoming Mrs. Banks? I'm not talking about the song, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you taking on the role. Oh dear. Well, it's of course there's a proper British accent, which is which was not a huge challenge, but but is is a challenge every night to make to sound perfectly authentic in in a in a, in a and I think for the first time in my life I'm I'm I finally have got a good British accent, even <laughs> though I've done it several times. I've never just I've never worked as hard on it as I hmm. did in this show. I just wanted it to be just perfectly right, you know. So we worked with Deborah Hecht, our dialect coach, and. And of course, the British team was very helpful, and some of the actors who are British, Gavin Lee and Jane Carr, and Suzanne Hylinski, one of our swings, they they were helpful as well. That was a challenge, and you know, there's a lot of acting in this in this uh, show, a, a heavier acting role than I've had on Broadway before, and uh, and I'm particularly enjoying the book scenes I have with Dan Jenkins, my co-star, and 
it's every night it's just a challenge to make her real and to and to just be in the scene and be in the moment and make it as interesting and real as possible and that's I guess I could say that about every role that I that I tackle um, this particular one it's written so well I it's so enjoyable to 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 take her journey every night that I lose myself in the enjoyment of it it hasn't really been hard in that way it's been sort of a natural you know I'm, I'm sort of, I'm very right for it the right age the right voice uh, you know the right look and uh and I'm just really happy that it came along, that I'm doing it. As you talk about the acting challenge and the opportunities, one of the things that's got to be unusual is that you're playing a mother, yet on any given night, your children are different performers. They're paired off. Does that change the dynamic for you? Obviously, I've only seen one set of, of your children. Yes. How, what, what happens? What are the variations there? Yeah, I forgot to mention that. I guess because we have fun with all, all three sets of kids. Uh, they are very different, but they, they're they little pros, too. So they're, they're all uh, know where to be and know how to, you know, they're all sort of in the right place at the right time. But their personalities are so different. They would give you different they, things they, to they play abs- with. They absolutely yeah. do. And and physically, they're different, too, you know. And they, they are, as we are given free reign to be the kind of, you know, character we want to, each of these children is also. So they, they each bring their own personalities. And, yeah, especially Mary Poppins. She's Ashley Brown, who plays Mary, is, is particularly probably affected by them they, they're sort of joined at the hip the whole show and I only come in and out of scenes with the children uh, I don't have them a lot it, ironically you know now to follow on what you said about the acting challenge you said this is kind of the greatest acting challenge you've had in a Broadway show you've been in major shows you've had significant roles what what's your feeling about what those were as opposed to this well this I think the the book that Julian Fellows wrote for this show is more it's a little bit more serious and more it's sort of it could it, we we could I feel like I'm in a play every night as opposed to the the scenes are very well developed and uh that that makes it a challenge and also makes it some somehow easier almost to do than a very than a shorter uh standard musical theater uh, book scene uh it's what what was your question? What makes it hard? Well, what just, just you know, as compared to others about you know those other shows, which certainly are major shows and major roles. Just ultimately, I guess what you were saying is is mm-hmm. it's the difference between a sustained dramatic scene versus just what serves. Absolutely. The material in a book scene, because certainly shows like Music Man, Sound of Music, these are well-written classic shows. Oh, sure. Absolutely. But I, I think, I guess I haven't compared them in that way, but I, as far as time timing of the scenes, but I think that the Mary Poppins scenes are, are longer and more developed and more dramatic and more serious than, mm. say, even The Music Man or The Sound of Music or any of the others that I've done. Nine might be a close second. Hmm. You know, that was... That was a huge challenge to do. Now, you, yeah. uh, you were in uh, Indian Blood this past summer, A.R. Gurney's show, yes. at about the same time that you were being announced to be in Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. How did you make the transition from a serious, straight, dramatic play <laughs> into Mary Poppins, which you use, say you're looking at as a, as a play, but was that a, did you have to readjust your mind? A little bit. I was rehearsing uh, Mary Poppins for about two weeks while I was performing in, in Indian, uh, Blood. Indian Blood. And, the, of course, the character of Indian Blood, I don't, I don't know if you're Listeners, have, some of them may have seen it. It's a 1940s family and uh, a waspy, you know, 1946 uh, 
1945 uh, woman. Again, uh, a mother who a mother. had a tentative career on the stage, yes. maybe once upon a time. She No, but we, we think that the character definitely wanted to be. Mm-hmm. The character of Jane in Indian Blood uh, probably had had secret uh, desire to be, a, say, a big band singer is what I <laughs> is what I always thought about her. Um, frustrated, yeah, a bit of a frustrated performer, uh, Jane was. Uh, that was a, boy, that was a little bit of a challenge to, to sort of switch gears, come into rehearsal every day and be a, a British woman in the early 1900s. Uh, but yes, both mothers, both had very similar qualities, both very strong people, although Jane in Indian Blood was much more outspoken and much more you know, instrumental in bringing her husband around a little bit in a more, you know, aggressive way. But, boy, that was just a great experience for me, Indian blood. And, and you're playing a mother in this show and a mother in that. You played single woman, Marion Peru, in The Music Man. You're raising two young boys yourself, a 13 <laughs> and a 10-year-old. Do you draw on personal involvement with, with your, the children to get into the role as a mother on stage? Uh, do do I? You mean my own stepsons? You, you, no, no you're, you're, your two stepsons. You and Danny Burstein, your yes, husband, are raising. Yes, yes. Uh, do you draw on those experiences? Yes, to absolutely. Interpret a mother on stage. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I, I'm not even sure how how aware I am of of how my stepmothering has. It's a natural process. The, the children in the show are very similar ages. Uh-huh. In fact, my stepsons, Alex and Zach, come to the theater with me on Saturdays a lot, and they play video games in, the, in my dressing room and run up and down the halls with the kids. They're all uh, from 9 to 13. They all range in ages from 9 to 13. So they all like each other very much. And, and um, yeah, it's I, 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 it's a very natural role to be their mother on stage. You know, I feel like I understand them and enjoy <laughs> them. and They're just terrific kids. In talking about Indian blood and, and the acting that you're doing in Mary Poppins, I had read that you talked about how difficult it's been to get people to look as you, at you as an actress and not just as this incredible lyric soprano. Um, is that something you're trying to get people to consider you, certainly for dramatic roles as well as musical roles? Is it, are the opportunities starting to come? Sure, yeah. I think, in, especially in the past few years, I've, I've I've gotten several opportunities to to act, you know, and do more. The, the Pete Gurney experience was beyond anything I ever thought. I just, you know, I just feel very, very lucky to to be in the original cast of of that of Indian Blood, uh, and yeah, you know, uh, I think part of the problem is that I'm I'm always singing in something, so I'm literally not available to do other things. And I, when when something when a singing role comes along that I particularly love, it's hard to say no to those. So sometimes it is a case of not being available, and yes, still probably a bit of case of not being seen in that way as a dramatic actress, but that's changing slowly, I think. And in the Gurney play, uh, you did have to sing one song <laughs> as sort of just a parlor performance. Yes. And ultimately, you were you were being asked not to sing really well. Yes. Because you're an amateur. What, what's it like to go out and, and sort of make sure you're marking and not doing what you are more than capable of doing? Well, Pete uh, Gurney, who wrote the play, A.R. Gurney, uh, told me that he wrote the character to sing this song before he considered thought about me for the role. So when they thought of me for the role, they he was saying to Mark Lamos, the director of the play, uh, well, should we make her a, you know, a, should we make her a singer? Should we make her an ex-singer? Should we make her a voice teacher? You know, whatever. And and Mark Lamos said, no, I don't think so. You know, You know, a lot of amateurs sing pretty well. You know, we know friends of ours that sing well. 
and sing on key. So we just thought of my character as somebody who has a pleasant voice, who just, and all I did differently was not sustain the, the phrases too much. I sang, you'd be so nice to come home to. And I just sort of simplified it as much as I could. Not a lot of vibrato, not a lot of sustained ends of phrases. And that seemed to be all I needed to do. And everyone bought it. In fact, I had people coming up to me at the opening night party who didn't know me or anything about me and told me that I had a really nice voice and that I should... <laughs> sort of patting you on the hand saying, yes, yeah, you dear, you really... did a lovely job. And I, you know, I <laughs> cackled and said, that's the best compliment you could ever give me as an actress in this play. And like, maybe you should work on it. Maybe you'll become successful someday. Yeah. <laughs> One Take of those. a few voice lessons. <laughs> right, you know, right. You'll get there. Well, you talked about being in Pete Gurney's <laughs> Indian Blood as being like an incredible experience. How, how, how do you mean that? Oh, well, first of all, it's the first uh, original play I've ever done in New York. Uh-huh. Uh, in in, in as, as high profile a, a play as, as this one, and um, the, the whole process of it was fascinating to me, and I was terrified coming into it. You know, what's it going to be like? Is it, are rehearsals that different? And I mean, you know, all these great actors in the play with me, and of course they were. They were all lovely actors, but I quickly learned to feel that I was on their level. We were all peers. We were all equals, and just the rehearsal process was so. Uh, detailed you know it, it just we had we had all the time in the world to it seemed to develop these scenes and not have to worry about doing the music on top of it you know and i i, I just uh it was just a, a wonderful process of learning how to just let go in a rehearsal and explore a character and and uh scary and wonderful at the same time and i'd just love to do more of it i'd love to do another play any any kind of play really well, you talk Same. about uh, the role that you played there, the mother, as being like a, a talented amateur who could sing well. Yes. And in a way, that's kind of the way you started because you were in Birmingham, Alabama, growing up singing the church choir and all that. Mm-hmm. How did you make the move from Birmingham to, to showbiz, so to speak? Well, uh, it was a uh, sort of a long uh, route, but I, I was in a lot of community theater and I did all the musicals at, at my college that I went to, University of Montevallo. And I did some community theater in Birmingham and met some professionals along the way, you know, and one of them in particular uh, was about to work up at Michigan Opera Theater in the early 80s, 83, 84, and wanted me to be his Anne Egerman in A Little Night Music by Stephen Sondheim. And I somehow, you know, I think I took the train to New York, believe it or not. And um, had a terrible audition for the Michigan Opera, but somehow I got the role because uh, <laughs> I think the director and the the director of the Michigan Opera sort of had a deal, and he said, "Well, if I can, if you'll cast Rebecca, you can have whoever you want for you know some other character." And he went, "Okay, you know." And I was an apprentice at the same time, so uh, for the, all three seats uh, shows that season, so uh, I went to Michigan Opera and in doing that role. And then the next year, I went back to do another role. Uh, I think it was Joanna and Sweeney Todd. Uh, I met um, an agent who came to see the show, who came to see his client, Judy Kay, do Mrs. Lovett in that show. So I met an agent, and he invited me to come to New York, and that's exactly how it happened. And then I somehow I graduated and then moved up here and never left. And then you were in New York for about two years, and then you went to Phantom Camp, as you call it. You joined yeah, Phantom, Phantom of the Opera, Camp, your, exactly. your Broadway debut. I remember you, you said that last time you were here, that you exactly. went to Phantom Camp, so to speak. Very much like that. We we just, you know, I learned so much. I pretty much learned my craft doing that show. Um, learned to dance, learned to, you know, sing better. Uh, not not, and I also learned the just the big lesson of how to persevere and how to work on a role and how to you know wait your turn. And I understudied for almost a year before I moved up to the role, and that was frustrating for me. But 
the role of Christine. The role of Christine. In Phantom. Yeah. And and so I, but the, it was it was just a lovely made lifelong friends there. Was there for three years and then just you know left to do the Secret Garden. But it was it was a, a lovely time and a great place to learn a lot. So Secret Garden, how did you get that role, Lily? In that Lily, picture? the old fashioned way, like I always get them. I audition for them. You know, uh-huh. it always happens that way. Uh, right place, right time, right voice, right. I, it's, it's, I consider that one of the, the greatest experiences of my life. Just, you know, it was an original show, my first original. Uh, well, Phantom was too, but, you know. But it, the first, where, where, you, where you originated I was, the role. I originated yeah. the role. Yep. It had never been done anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It was a, a fantastic score by Lucy Simon and Marsha Norman and uh, Susan Schulman directed. And it, it was just, I feel like it, it was a role that, that, I was in a way born to do, and and um, that I got to do it was is just always a miracle to me. Well, what what was the role? Of the Lily? role was Lily, Lily, uh, yeah. Lily the mother of uh, the mm-hmm. ghost mother. Actually, there's a lot of ghosts in the show. I was one of the ghosts, and uh, just I got to wear these gorgeous Theoni Aldrich dresses and sing the most gorgeous music, and uh, it, was, it was just a dream. Beautiful show. Well, speaking of the gorgeous music, why don't we play one of the songs that Lily sings oh, that you sing, and terrific. why don't you set it up? Pick, pick a song and set it up. This. Uh, if you know the story of the Secret Garden about the little girl Mary, who come, Mary Lennox, who comes to live with her uncle uh, in in England, uh, she's lost both of her parents. A very sad little girl. Uh, she discovers uh, her her cousin Colin, uh, who's a crippled boy, uh, in his bed. His father has locked him away, and uh, she she uh, sort of brings him out of his shell and, and eventually helps him to walk. And uh, I play Lily, the mother of the little boy who has since who died in childbirth. So this is a song where Lily visits Archie, the father of the boy, uh, in his hotel room in Paris, I believe, and she sort of haunts him and lovingly haunts him and says, you know, uh, you have to you have to rejoin the living. You have to love your son. You have to um, remember the love that we had together. And she sort of helps him to live again with this song. From the Secret Garden, our guest today, Rebecca Luker in the role of Lily, and How Could I Ever Know? Beautiful song. What came next after after Secret Garden? Showboat, I guess. Uh, yes. Right into Showboat, pretty much right into it. Um, that was great, too. We, 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 we opened it in Toronto for a year at the North York Theater and moved to Broadway uh, that following fall, and that was great. It was a lovely, huge production uh, directed by Harold Prince, Prince and uh, choreographed by Susan Stroman, and um, you know, it's a classic role, Magnolia, one I'd always wanted to do. So, it was, was that again a case of auditioning for it? Or? Oh, oh, yes, yeah. yes. A lot. I think it was a lot of auditions. Actually, it was a lot of a couple of meetings with Hal and a lot of auditions. And callbacks. And, and yeah. All that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. It must a be lot. a terrifying experience having to go in and audition or again and again. You know, once you get past the. Uh, First one, and yes, you. The, the only bad thing about get, having a lot of callbacks is that you want you realize you want the role so mm. badly that you're so afraid you're not going to get it. So you know you get a little. Oh, I want it. You know, stop teasing me with these callbacks. But uh, basically, uh, once you, you know that they like you, it's a little easier going in. Keep you know you keep going in. You figure your chances keep raising. So. Showboat's a, a famously reworked show because it's been done in so oh, yes. many different versions. I'm curious as as how Prince was putting that together. Were were there things coming in and out of that production of Showboat, or did you re- was it really set that the script was was what it was going to be? Oh boy, it was a, it was a while ago, but 
it I think it was pretty much set. He he used John McGlynn's recording. Uh, John McGlynn's a, a wonderful uh, conductor, and uh, he used his showboat, his complete showboat recording that he had done back in I believe it was the late eighties, mid eighties, something like that. I have one line on it in that one little spoken line on that album, um, and he he used that as sort of a template of what the song should be. Although we didn't use all those songs, obviously, showboat would be what about four or five hours long if they used all the songs but no I think they had they had a pretty good idea from the beginning how they wanted the book to be kind of sort of stayed that way Hmm. oddly enough but it was certainly I mean you you had the opportunity to work with Prince on Phantom and then even though as you said you auditioned what uh, what what was the dynamic for you working with obviously a legend like Hal Prince oh we from the beginning from the day I met Hal at the Phantom audition I loved him uh, and Showboat, our our experience together in Showboat only only expanded that. He's he's a a dear, and uh, he's uh, so much fun. One of the funniest people I know, and uh, has a wonderful eye, and and was always loving and gracious to me. So I'm I'm very very grateful for that. We had a great time. He he's one of these directors that sort of lets you. Um, wants you to bring your own uh, personality to a role, and he he reins you in and helps you out but he he expects you and wants you to bring a lot to the table so it's good well the original production of showboat was 1927 and yours was 1997 70 (laughs) years in between almost yes. obviously you didn't see the original version but how faithful do you think it was to the original terms of the book and the music and all that or was it updated so to speak it was updated yeah it was one of those the racial aspect of the show was always a problem you know problematic uh-huh. we had you know march people marching in Toronto against the whole uh the slave you know aspect of the show, which always sort of sort of confused me. I thought well, it's part of the story it's part of you know America's yes embarrassing story about slavery, but it is part of showboat and it is what Oscar Hammerstein and Jerome Kern wanted to wanted to tell and and so I never really quite understood that and we we even you you know we didn't make it as racial as we could you know there have been versions that have used terrible words and that we you know we took out of our show and uh rightly so so we pared it down a bit uh to so as to not offend people but um there are many versions yes hundreds of versions of showboat but it's interesting that the, so. the, the racial challenge with Showboat, which which I'd forgotten mm. about until you mentioned it, it was really a cause celeb in Canada. Very and much. didn't seem to be quite the same issue here in the States when it came. No, it wasn't. And But the the material wasn't changed. Was it altered at all between Canada and here? No. Did you ever get a sense of why in Canada it was an issue and why it was accepted? You know what? I don't remember who began that whole protest in Canada so long ago, but it mm-hmm. did sort of reach, it really boiled over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't remember if we changed anything to appease that, that group either. Was it tougher to play the show up there? I mean, did you feel it from the audiences, or was this something that was happening in the media, separate and distinct from what was happening in the theater? We felt it a little bit, because they were they picketed the theater. They made a big, you know, thing of it outside the theater. And, it, you know, it probably did nothing more than to, to you know, to give us more publicity, but <laughs> which, you know, they probably didn't want us to have. But Well, it, it, would, be, it would be hard not to notice pickets. It would. It would be hard yeah. not to notice. So how did that affect your performance in the show? It, it didn't. I mean, I thought it was an interesting issue, and it, uh-huh. it was really an interesting topic to discuss. I, I just, as I said, I never really understood the, the, the concern. It was just simply a story we were telling. 
Now you yeah. talk about some adjustments to the to the book itself. How about to the music? Oh, the music. Well, obviously there are lots of songs we didn't do. Mm-hmm. I can't. I don't. Can't even list them right now. We did the main. The main. What most productions do, I think. And the songs that people expect to hear. I, yes, yeah. absolutely. How yeah. about in terms of orchestrations, that sort of thing? Was that updated, so to speak? From a 27, 1927 style. We used, as uh, I think he used a lot of the original orchestrations because he, Hal really liked John McGlynn's version of the songs. So, and, and John McGlynn's, you know, always all about trying to find the original orchestrations. I believe we mostly tried to do that, but we, we I think we did also update a few things. Old Man River, mm-hmm. which is sung throughout the, the, the piece, was played with a little bit and some background music little things like that added to update the show a little bit well your character magnolia has a number of songs why don't you pick one of her songs mm-hmm. we'll play set it up again and- there's a wonderful uh a moment in act two where magnolia comes in and uh auditions to for it to be a singer because she's down on her luck and she reprises uh can't help loving that man with the guitar and that's my favorite one Can't Help Loving That Man from Showboat, Jerome Kern's music, Oscar Hammerstein II's lyrics, and Rebecca Luker's voice. <laughs> After Showboat, your next two Broadway appearances, you were stepping into shoes that had been filled by truly remarkable performers. In the case of Sound of Music, originally Mary Martin, and of course on film, Julie Andrews, and then fairly shortly thereafter, the music man, Barbara Cook. How? What is it to take on those kinds of roles, which are so major and so associated with certain performers? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, first of all, I to be compared favorably to both of those women, which I have been a few times, is is, is a lovely compliment. And I think that uh, Julie Andrews' performance—I never saw Mary Martin's performance, obviously—but uh, Julie Andrews' performance in uh, *The Sound of Music* is so ingrained in our our consciences that that I think I couldn't help but sort of do a little bit of the role like she did uh, cer- certain line readings certain certain lines only come out as Julie Andrews you know could say them or sing them so I I probably stole from her without even knowing I stole from her but you know what I don't really um and Barbara Cook same thing for for Marion you know um certain inflections are just part of that role I believe and uh I didn't think about them for the most part, though. I, I definitely brought my own personality, which is very different from theirs, to the roles. I tried not to think about their 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 performances while I was developing the the character, but they were they're they're lovely roles to do, and and uh, yeah, I had a great time doing it, as famous as they were. Well, with Sound of Music, it's a show that now, frankly, because of the movie, there are some people who approach it thinking they know exactly what they're in for. <laughs> And, of course, the movie is not exactly the same as what the stage version is. And so so did you find that the expectations not were you going to be Julie Andrews, but, but what the show was, was was a little bit different in terms of, of people just knowing what, what they were going to actually get and the order that they get it in and things like that? Yeah, it's true. You know, I, did, I don't remember that uh, people really talked about that in a negative way. Um, the the yeah the, the they even added a movie song to the to the stage which most stage productions of the sound of music do the the love song 
um, something good. Something good yeah. uh, that instead of an ordinary couple, which mm-hmm. I don't even really, I'm not very familiar with that song because you don't usually hear it in, in the stage version. Of Unless you listen to the original 1959 <laughs> cast recording. Exactly. <laughs> so there were little things. There were little things we that they that they stole from the from the movie that mm. made it you know better. I think. I think they improved the the movie. And so why not do what's better? You know. Well, the other shows you've been in, being Secret Garden, Phantom, uh, Showboat, Music Man, even Mary Poppins now, all based on fictional stories, fictional characters, The Sound of Music based on real people, mm. the Von Trapp family and Maria herself. Did exactly. you do any research into who Maria really is, who she, you know, that whole storyline itself? Oh, sure. We, we, we did do some, all of us did some research about the Von Trapps, and we even met the family. Uh, not till opening night, but mm-hmm. we did meet them. Uh, it's fascinating. It's a lot of them are still living and uh, wonderful, fascinating people. Uh, yeah, it's it's it was a, a lovely. Ch- I wish you know I kind of wish the script had been more reflective of her actual life, which was which was quite something. Maria's life. What was is the is the script basically the Broadway or Hollywood version of of her life, or is it somewhat realistic? I mm, I, I think more. Broadway Hollywood, uh-huh. you know, as opposed to, you know, everything sort of, even though, you know, the, the journey that she takes to, you know, to overcome the Nazis and that. I and, mean, of course, that's that's great. And that's all really what happened. But um, it is sort of neatly tied up in a, in a bow and you sort of wish it wasn't so. But, you know, it's a beautiful story. Well, The Sound of Music, it's about a, a young woman meeting a man and falling in love with him. So is um, The Music Man, mm. about a young woman, again, sort of resisting the man at first and then finally falling in love. How did The Music Man come about for you? How did that happen? How did yeah. that job happen? Did, uh, did you audition for that, too? I did. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, which is fine. You know, I find that if you, you, you work hard at something and you it, it's a lot of fun to actually get it. Uh-huh. So it's I like auditioning. It, it's sort of a way to... It's it's in a way it helps you in rehearsal later too. You keep having to work on the role every time you come back in and get a lot of work done on it. I came about, you know, I was just on the list, you know, on the list of one of the actresses to be seen. That's all. I don't think I was their their uh, favorite. I don't think I was anybody they thought they would cast, though. But you've been compared uh, favorably to Barbara Cook. And you know, looks-wise, uh, basically you have the same kind of strawberry blonde look and rosy red cheeks that Barbara Cook had when she was in The Music Man. Mm-hmm. So you seem almost to be a natural for it and beautiful voice. Well, yeah, I you know, I can't explain that. Who knows what goes through casting directors and directors' minds. Sometimes they think they want to go an entirely opposite way from what is expected of the character and uh, just to something different, a fresh new face and something, you know, which I can understand. Uh, but Marion is not 19, you know, mm-hmm. she's a, she's an older uh, old maid actually mm-hmm. in the, in the show. And so I, in that way, I, I, I fit it better than say a fresh young right off the bus face. Well, Music but, Man uh, opened in uh, the spring of 2000, ran yes. through the end of 2001, mm-hmm. and was running when 9-11 happened. Exactly. Uh, were you in it for the run of the show? I was, for the entire so, run. And you took about a week or so after 9-11 before the show resumed. Was, was that yeah. tough for you, going back on stage after? It after was tough. We, we, I think about three nights. We, we, Broadway was dark for about three nights. Right. Yeah, it was tough. We 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 sang "God Bless America" at the curtain call, you I know, that, and yeah. um, invited the firefighters' families, the, the the survivors, and it was quite a time. 
um, but a great show to be involved with at the time. Very patriotic. You know, it's interesting. About a week or maybe 10 days after Mm 9-11, I went to see you in the show. And it was so uplifting because here it is, pure Americana. Everybody's feeling good about the show. And then at the end of saying, God bless America, where strangers in the audience held hands was really very uplifting. I'm sure it was. I wish I had been in the audience during that time. And the big big flag that drops at the Mm -hmm. end is always, you know, especially then. It was just... just, uh, yeah. Well, even, even in normal circumstances, it would have been stirring. But in those circumstances, being so fresh on the heels of that awful day, Absolutely. it was very heartrending. Yeah, it seems it's, it's so long ago, and yet it doesn't seem so long ago. Yeah. Does it? As we talk about all of these shows where you created the roles, albeit in some cases in revivals, it's interesting to look at the fact that you... Uh, you joined Nine after it had been running for mm. a while, and I read that you enjoyed that experience enormously. Of course, there's an interesting turnabout in that in the case of The Sound of Music, when you left the show, a uh, complete unknown named Laura Bonanti yes. replaced you, and then here coming into Nine, you replaced Laura Bonanti. <laughs> um, but but why did you enjoy that, that coming into that production so much? What? Well... You know, uh, I my agent probably would rather me not replace like I did. You know, a lot of agents are going, you shouldn't replace, you should originate or whatever. But my feeling is that it, a good role is a good role, whether whether you get it first or second or third. So I, that means nothing to me. But I I, I have to applaud uh, the, the, the creative team of Nine because um, they, they apparently – didn't mind casting the role of Claudia, which I played entirely differently from Laura Venanti, you know, different ages, different looks, different voices, different everything. And he was, uh, he was just, they were wonderful at uh, David, uh, well, David Laveau, D- David the director, Laveau yeah. was just amazingly open-minded about it. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought I was coming in for the wife, but Mary Stewart, you know, uh, Masterson didn't want to leave. And so I, he said, how about doing Claudia? And I went, well, it's fine. Great. You know, I get to get to be Italian. I get to speak Italian. I get to be dark skinned and dark haired. And just, <laughs> I mean, it was just entirely redoing myself to do this part. It and was, was that the fun. first time you'd really f- had the opportunity to be yes. that far away from Rebecca Luker? Pretty much. Phantom was a little that way. You know, I had the long, dark hair and the, was a ballerina in that and danced on point and was... Is also British, but this was entirely, t- entirely different. An, an Italian woman with a temper and a passionate, you know, passionate Italian woman was just great fun, great fun. Well, unfortunately, you're not on the cast recording of the revival of Nine because you went in yeah. as a replacement, but you are the original Marion Peru in the revival of The Music Man. Let's play one of Marion Peru's songs from that show. How does Wonderful. that sound? Wonderful. Which one? How about My White Knight? And how does that work? It's obviously talking about Professor Harold Hill. She is, yes, yeah. exactly. She's on the she's on the front porch of her house in River City, Iowa, talking with her mother about uh, the kind of man she wants in her life, and this is what she comes up with. My White Knight from the revival of The Music Man in two thousand, Meredith Wilson's work, and the voice of Rebecca Luker. John mentions the voice of Rebecca Luker, and you alluded to this very in passing earlier on, that you've been working to try to, to sing in different ranges than you're known for. And why, when you're possessed of one of the great sopranos, do you want to try to, 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 to sing in a different voice? Well, I don't know if I'd say different voice. I've been singing for so long that... Uh, that my lower register is becoming a little more developed and and the role that I'm doing now in Mary Poppins Winifred Banks is is probably the lowest role I've ever done on stage and 
Hmm. You know, I, I even belt a little bit of it. I, you know, I'm mixing it lower than I normally do. Um, I just, I'm just enjoying singing and singing different styles of music is basically what it comes down to. And in so doing, your voice, you know, your voice sounds a different way. You know, singing pop music or singing classical music. I, I, I guess at this time in my life, I'm enjoying doing many different types of music and singing with many different styles you know and you do that on your own cds you have a couple cds you have the the anything goes cole porter rebecca lucas swings cole porter is it right sings cole porter but sing, yeah. sing cole porter. Well, <laughs> i swing, I swing two, a couple too. Two. <laughs> and leaving home yes uh, on the uh was it the aria albums and the aria uh, albums yes on uh Koch Records, I believe, has uh-huh. all of them now. K O C H. Yeah, those are great. The, the Leaving Home, I get to do a little bit of pop, of uh-huh. rock, uh, folk sound, singing. Well, singing for Rebecca Luker, what kind of music do you most like to perform? Is any particular oh. favorite that you have? Am I putting That's you on the spot? Hard. <laughs> well, when, That's when, very hard. When, when you aren't singing Winifred Banks, when you're not singing <laughs> Marion Carew. Well, in the past uh, few years of my life, I've been embarking on singing new theater songs. I did. I did a concert at the you know the Lincoln Center Allen Room uh, about a year ago, in which I introduced lots of new theater songs, and meaning these songs can range from classical to pop to. Uh, any uh, um, you know number of styles, I, it's really hard to to say. I don't have a favorite. Mm. I don't. And as you talk about different styles, and you mentioned the Allen Room is a different venue, you've also performed a cabaret act, oh. and the relationship to an audience after years of being in fifteen hundred and two thousand seat <laughs> houses, when you're on a small stage, what what's what's how do how do you adjust for that as a performer? It's incredibly different. I, I was just at Feinstein's the last this past uh, uh, May, and then December before that. It is incredibly different cabaret. For instance, the the, the audience is in your lap, almost in your lap, literally, and you're you just have to ad lib and be yourself and talk to them and it's it's scripted and yet it's not scripted you know you get in there and you you don't know what's going to be thrown at you and how you're going to feel and it's all you for a whole hour you know you have water out there and tea and it's just you singing a lot and it's just incredibly different you you relate to the audience in a much different way and I found myself just ad libbing and talking to people and Saying whatever came out of my into my brain a, a couple of times different for me. I'm so used to being controlled and scripted. Well, rather than it. rather than being on a theater stage where you have a separation between you and the audience, and it's dark in the house, it's hard to see them. Yes. here you are being yourself, doing your own music, <laughs> literally arm's length away from the, the closest people. Yes. is that scary, intimidating? It's uh, very intimidating. Is it? At the very first night I went went out to do it, it was almost took my breath away. Intimidating. You know, and you have to be very, very prepared with your music because you can you can so forget your words so easily, and you can be thrown by any number of things. You know, the waiters crashing something <laughs> in the back, and people talking, and or you know, just it's so different. I really liked it though. It, it, well, it's still early in the run of Mary Poppins, and you've got a good long run ahead of you. What do you want to do next? Do you think any any? Oh, I'd you... love to do another another CD. I'd love to do uh-huh. um, a whole album of new songs, or rather like I did at the Allen Room uh, last year. So I, I'm trying to get uh, my buddies over at PS Classics to, to, to go along with it. I think they'd like to, but they're very, very busy. Tommy Kresker and Philip Chafin, who run it. Right, couple. Good guys. They're great. And yeah. so we've been having little informal talks about that. That's my. That's one thing I'd like to do next. As far as 
other things, you know, just throw the lines in, see what see what bites. A movie, a play, uh, another musical. Straight plays, too? I'd love to do a straight play, absolutely, yeah. yeah. We'll see what happens. Great. On that note, mm-hmm. Rebecca Luker, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. Thank you both. Thanks, Rebecca. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.